Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. I'm sure that you have been at one point in time or another standing in line at the supermarket and gazed upon a headline in the National Enquirer. You might not know the National Enquirer used to be headquartered here in Palm Beach County in Lantana. And the owner of the National Choir was one former generoso Paul Jean Pope Jr. He was an American media mogul best known for creating the National Enquirer as it's known today. He was born in 1927. His dad, Generoso Pope Sr., was a New York political power broker and a quarry magnet whose Italian-American newspaper interests included the Corriere d'America and the daily Il Progresso Italio-Americano. Generoso Pope Sr. is said to have had ties to New York crime boss Frank Costello. In fact, when Junior, his son, was born, he asked Costello to be the godfather. So he, like, asked the godfather to be a godfather, literally. Pope was educated at the Horace Mann School. He graduated from MIT, yes, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He earned a bachelor's degree in general engineering in 1946. Pope took over the daily operations of the Il Progresso Italio Americano at the age of 21. And, get this, he worked for the CIA Psychological Warfare Unit in 1950. PSYOPs. So Pope really went all in in the media industry by buying the New York Enquirer in 1952 for 75000 bucks. The Enquirer purchase was supposedly made in part with a loan from the godfather, Frank Costello. And in 1954, Pope revamped the format from a broadsheet to a tabloid and renamed it the National Enquirer. Pope worked tirelessly throughout the 1950s and 60s to increase the circulation of the Enquirer. And in the late 50s and all the way up until 1967, it was known for its gory and unsettling headlines and stories such as, get this, I cut her heart out and stomped on it. That was in the September 8th, 1963 issue. True story of an April 1963 mutilation murder of former Olympic skier Sonia McCaskey. McCaskey. And then this one was Mom Boiled Her Baby and Ate Her. That was in 1962. And at this time, the paper was sold on newsstands and in drugstores only, so not in supermarket checkout lines, which could be a little nauseating, as gory headlines would not have been allowed in family supermarkets at that time. Well, Pope stated that he got the idea for this format because he would see people, you know, rubberneckers straining to see accidents along the highway. He said they would congregate around auto accidents. So after 1967, Pope tempered his use of gory headlines so the tabloid could be sold in more family-friendly environments, such as the supermarket checkout line. And this new sales strategy proved to be a huge boon for sales. Single copy sales of the National Enquirer, some issues like Elvis in his coffin, there's a photo of him, peaked above 6 million in the 1970s. Generoso Pope moved the Enquirer from New York to Lantana, Florida, which is kind of like right in the middle of Palm Beach County, in 1971. And by the time of his death, his GP group, in addition to the National Enquirer, included Weekly World News and a magazine distributor, Distribution Services, Inc. And it was sold in 1989 by his heirs to the company that would become American Media. 
Well, from 1971 to 1988, during the holiday season, Generoso Pope also put up a large decorated Christmas tree, which towered over the corporate headquarters of the National Enquirer in Lantana. And at times, it was considered the largest such tree in the world. This tradition was discontinued after he died in 1998. So while we didn't have snow, we had a huge Christmas tree. It was the world's most outrageous tabloid and the world's largest decorated Christmas tree. And it stood for nearly two decades. The tree rose above the railroad tracks in US-1 outside the legendary newspaper's Lantana offices. When Generoso Pope moved his newsroom from New Jersey to the warmer climate and the small town accoutrements of Lantana, he found himself pining for northern Christmas traditions. So he ordered the 45-foot tree for his employees, and then motorists along Dixie Highway noticed it and soon were jamming side roads and parking in swales so they could get out and take a look at the tree. And like the Grinch's heart, each year the crowds grew bigger and the tree grew bigger. And soon the spectacle of lights complete with 300,000 lights and a collection of animated exhibits and model trains became the phenomenon drawing as many as a million people over the holiday season. The tree reached 117 feet by 1979 and was listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the tallest Christmas tree. Pope would never disclose how much he spent on the massive display saying he only did it because it gives so much pleasure to so many people. When he died at the age of 61 in October of 1988, that marked the end of the big tree as well. There was a guy named Tom Kaufman, the owner of the nearby Riggins Lobster and Steakhouse. He stepped in, proposing to move the tree to his eatery, but then he ran into resistance from Lantano officials, so he set up the 144-foot tree on December 1st at Miami's Bay Front Park, but soon backers fell through and the Save the Christmas Tree Foundation went into $300,000 worth of debt and went bankrupt. The tree stood for about 50 days, and then it was unceremoniously chopped up. Now, Generoso Pope married three women. His first wife was Patricia McManus in 1951. She gave birth to their son, Generoso Pope III, and then she fell into a really deep postpartum depression. And ultimately, she was diagnosed as schizophrenic. Then in 1961, he divorced McManus and married Edith Moore, a former model. And when McManus heard this news, she committed suicide. Wow. Pope and Moore had a daughter named Gina and divorced in 1965. That same year, he married his third wife, Lois Pope. And they had two children, Paul and Lorraine, and then he adopted Lois's two daughters, Michelle and Maria. Now, rumors of mafia connections dogged him his whole life. Of course, his godfather was a godfather, New York crime boss Frank Costello. The Popes lived in a self-designed beachfront home in Manalapan, Florida. And I will get into Manalapan in just a minute, but he died. He suffered a heart attack at the age of 61 at his Manalapan mansion. And he died while en route to the hospital, get this, while riding in an ambulance that he had donated to the town. He was interred at Our Lady Queen of Peace Catholic Cemetery in Royal Palm Beach, and his widow Lois remained well-known as a South Florida philanthropist specializing in medical research, humanitarian relief, and the performing arts. Now, Manalapan is like a little island in between Palm Beach and the mainland. The word Manalapan comes from the Lenape language, which is a Delaware Indian tribe, and it means either land of good bread good land to settle upon or covered swamp with edible roots. 
So it's an Eastern Algonquin language. It was originally spoken in Pennsylvania, southeastern New York, and all of New Jersey and northern Delaware. In fact, here is Delaware resident Joe Biden speaking a little Lenepe. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true and international effort to pressure. You're a line dog faced pony soldier. <laughs> now, of course, the National Enquirer had some of the best headlines ever. One of them was Anne Bancroft's exclusive story I am a slob. I burp and slurp in public. Hilarious. Uh, like me. <laughs> Pardon me. Another one was Marla caught with a hunk, which was sort of true. Marla Maples was living at Mar-a-Lago with President Trump or then Donald Trump. And apparently she had some sort of an affair with a bodyguard. But there were eight times the National Choir has been right from Michael Jackson to O.J. Simpson. By the way, just two covers. The New York Post has also been known for some doozies, some headlines. One of them was the hooker, the rabbi and the rub out. And that was the edition after Paul Castellano was whacked outside of Sparks Steakhouse. It was just before 5.30 on December 16, 1985, when mob boss Paul Castellano stepped out of a limo in front of Sparks Steakhouse in Midtown Manhattan and was shot to death. Well, apparently across the street, a friend of mine, Murray Weiss, was working for the New York Post, and he heard this call come over the scanner, and he says to himself, well, either it's a Puerto Rican love triangle or Paul Castellano just got whacked. So he runs down there, and he finds there was a rabbi walking across the street with a hooker who saw the whole thing. And he got an interview with this rabbi, and that was the headline, the hooker, the rabbi, and the rub out. What a great headline. The other headline in the New York Post that I love, apparently Ted Kennedy, you know, they have... They had the Kennedy compound. It's since been sold here. The Kennedy estate on Palm Beach. And Ted Kennedy used to bring a lot of women down here, and he took his boat out in the ocean. And so the photographers, the news media, had two-time extend lenses, and they had a photo of Ted Kennedy taking a woman from behind on the boat. And the headline in the New York Post was, Ted Kennedy offshore drilling. <laughs> Can't make this up. Hey, sometimes the National Enquirer got it right. So it's not such a rag, you know. The Enquirer eerily reported that Michael Jackson had only six months to live, exactly six months before he died in June, June 25th, 2009. In 1984, the tabloid published photos of O.J. Simpson wearing those infamous Bruno Magli shoes that he denied ever owning or wearing those ugly-ass shoes. Bruno Magli makes shoes that look like the shoes they had in court that's involved in this case. I would have never worn those ugly-ass shoes. You thought they, those were ugly-ass shoes? Yes. Why were they ugly-ass shoes? Because in my mind, they were. What about them was ugly, Mr. Simpson? The look of them, the style of them. What, what about the style? I don't know. They were ugly to me. Aesthetically, I felt that they were ugly, and I guess beauty is an eye to the holder, and to me, they were ugly shoes. Well, they had a photo of him wearing them on the sideline. The Inquirer also broke the news that O.J. Simpson's book, quote-unquote, If I Did It, was coming out. Simpson's own lawyer denied the memoir's existence, but he was wrong. 
Rush Limbaugh, who also lives down here on Palm Beach, used to denounce drug use on his radio show. But in 2003, he admitted that the Inquirer's story about an addiction to painkillers was correct. Remember, they went after him for possible alleged doctor shopping? Well, he entered inpatient treatment for 30 days. That's Rush Limbaugh, bless his heart. 2001, the Inquirer claimed that Jesse Jackson fathered a child with a woman who wasn't his wife. The activist confirmed the story before the issue hit the newsstands. The paper correctly reported that John Edwards, remember squeaky clean John Edwards, whose wife died of breast cancer, had a secret love child with Riel Hunter, ruining his political career. What a dumbass. The Inquirer was the first report Tiger Woods' extramarital affairs back in 2009. The tabloid even knew before his wife figured it out. She picked up his cell phone and started calling these women that were on his phone and texting them as if it was Tiger that was calling and texting them. And that's when she lost it and chased Tiger out of the house. It was a Thanksgiving with a golf club, and he was like, had taken an Ambien, he had been drinking beer, and he got in his car. Well, he couldn't drive, so he ran over some bushes and hit a tree, and somehow got out of the vehicle. Well, they said that the wife used the golf club to break the windows on the SUV, but uh, Jupiter Police said he was knocked out unconscious lying on the pavement for about six minutes. And when he woke up, he said, I've got to go to Zales and get her a Kobe special, a house on her finger. Well, they ended up in divorce. The Inquirer took heat for reporting that Steve Jobs was ill in 2011. He died a few months later. Now, the National Enquirer's five most outrageous political scoops. One was Supreme Court Justice Scalia was murdered by a hooker. Said in a bombshell world exclusive, the Inquirer claimed that the Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia's March 2016 death involved foul play. According to the National Enquirer, Scalia was assassinated by a 2,000-a-night hooker hired by the CIA to inject Scalia with a needle filled with poison in his buttocks. The second crazy political story, Clinton's sex romp caught on video in 2003. The National Enquirer reported that Hillary Clinton's political foes were desperately trying to acquire a secret videotape that supposedly showed her husband, Bill Clinton, having sex in a pickup truck with a department store clerk. Simply imagining Bill Clinton having sex in a pickup was terrifying enough, so it's probably best that the actual video never surfaced. Inquirer also reported a rumor that Marco Rubio was supporting a secret second family. <laughs> Jeb Bush snorted cocaine on the night his dad became president, exclamation point. In February 2016, the tabloid reported the following claims made in a book authored by Roger Stone that Jeb Bush had snorted lines of cocaine at the vice president's residence at the Naval Observatory on the night of Vice President George H.W. Bush's election to the presidency. And this was a doozy. Number five, Hillary Clinton lesbian lovers named in secret emails. According to the Inquirer's sources, the former Secretary of State deleted emails from her personal server that contained personal revelations about a secret lesbian lifestyle. The April 2015 story claims that Clinton's long list of conquests includes a beauty in her early 30s who often traveled with Hillary, a popular TV and movie star, the daughter of a top government official, and a stunning model who got a career boost after allegedly sleeping with Hillary. Sounds like Hillary's women were hotter than Bill's babes. He really didn't have a good picker. So Lois Pope is still alive. She's like 87 years old. And back in 2014, she bought another house in Manalapan for about 16.2 million bucks. For a while, she had moved into the Ritz-Carlton, which is now the O Hotel and Resort. 
in Manalapan. And then she said she hated living in a hotel. So she moved to Delray Beach and now she's back in Manalapan. Philanthropisting. I just wanted to wrap this up with the anthrax attacks that followed the September 11th attacks. Well, the first set of anthrax letters had a Trenton, New Jersey postmark. This was September 18th, 2001, and five letters were believed to have been mailed at this time to ABC News, CBS News, NBC News, the New York Post, all located in New York City, and then also the National Enquirer at American Media in Boca Raton. So it had moved then from Lantana to Boca Raton after Generoso Pope's death and the family sold it. So Robert Stevens, who worked at the Sun Tabloid, also published by AMI, died October 5th, 2001, four days after entering a Florida hospital with an undiagnosed illness that caused him to vomit and he had shortness of breath. Now, only the New York Post and NBC newsletters were found. The existence of the other three letters is inferred because individuals at ABC, CBS and AMI became infected with anthrax. Scientists examining the anthrax from the New York Post letter said it appeared as clumped, coarse, brown, granular material, looking a little bit like dog food. Two more anthrax letters bearing the same Trenton postmark were dated October 9th, three weeks after the first mailing. And those letters were addressed to two Democrat senators, Tom Daschle of South Dakota and Patrick Leahy of Vermont. In all, 22 people developed anthrax infections, 11 of whom contracted the especially life-threatening inhalation variety. Five died from inhaling anthrax. It was mostly the white fine powder. Because it took so long to identify a culprit, the 2001 anthrax attacks have been compared with the Unabomber attacks, which took place from 1978 to 1995. Immediately after the anthrax attacks, the White House officials pressured the FBI director, Robert Mueller, to publicly blame them on al-Qaeda and Iraq. Turned out that this guy named Bruce Ivins, who worked for 18 years at the government's biodefense labs at Fort Detrick, was a top biodefense researcher. And on August 6, 2008, federal prosecutors declared Ivins the sole perpetrator of the crime when the U.S. attorney laid out the case to the public. The genetically unique parent material of the anthrax spores was created and solely maintained by Dr. Ivins. In 2008, Ivins told a therapist he didn't intend to be put to death. In fact, he said he planned to kill his co-workers and go out in a blaze of glory. And psychotherapist Dr. David Irwin called him a homicidal sociopath with clear intentions. Now, some of the letters that went to the New York Post and Tom Brokaw contained a hidden message and highlighted characters. It was like it was a warning written in code. Although the FBI matched the genetic origin of the attack spores to the spores in Ivan's flask, RMR-1029, the spores within that flask did not have the same silicon chemical fingerprint. So the former headquarters of the National Enquirer, Star, and Weekly World News tabloids were contaminated with the deadly anthrax bacteria after somebody mailed the anthrax-laced letter to the building on Broken Sound Boulevard in the Arvida Park of Commerce. And again, the tabloid photo editor Bob Stevens died October 5th, 2001 after inhaling anthrax spores from the contaminated envelope. The building was under quarantine by the Palm Beach County Health Department since October 7th, 2001. And the former AMI headquarters was the last building 
in the United States still contaminated with anthrax. The other buildings included the Hart Senate Office Building, the Brentwood Postal Center in D.C. They were cleaned and reopened. But it wasn't until 2004 when the first steps were taken to clean up anthrax at the former American Media Inc. building. It was the first time crews had stepped inside the building after two years. So they destroyed documents, took pictures, and then they collected anthrax samples. And after the data was collected, scientists created a cleanup plan for the building, which had to be approved by the county health department and reviewed by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. I mean, anthrax is nasty stuff. I mean, it's seriously infectious. It's caused by a gram-positive rod-shaped bacteria known as Bacillus anthraxis. Anthrax can be found naturally in the soil and commonly affects domestic and wild animals around the world. It's caused by a spore-forming bacterium. It mainly affects animals, but symptoms depend on the route of infection. They can range from a skin ulcer with a dark scab to difficulty breathing which could also be COVID, antibiotics cure most infections, but inhaled anthrax is harder to treat and can be fatal. So next week on Full Rigor, I'm going to take a look at the story about Hulk Hogan and Bubba the Love Sponge and Hulk Hogan's lawsuit against Gawker. Should be really, really interesting. That wraps up Full Rigor for this week. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget to subscribe and also like. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you. Get early access to Macy's Black Friday specials on gifts they'll love at prices you will too. Now, while supplies last, like 40 to 50% off boots and shoes for him and for her. Sweaters for him and her, just $24.99. And 60% off holiday decor, hosting essentials, and so much more. Plus, download the free app for more Black Friday deals at Macy's. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.